This talk is offered by Ordinary Minds Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Andrew is an Australian Dharma heir of Barry Majid and is dedicated to extending Barry's vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. We never cease being students and we all can be teachers to each other. So um, the, for those of you who don't know, the four practice principles um, caught in a self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream, each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. We, we recite those on a regular basis at the end of a, of a, of a session, often on the, in the mornings on Tuesdays and Fridays, and, uh, and at the end, sometimes on a Sunday. And um, they're also kind of really nice to learn them off by heart, and um, you can um, uh, bring them into your mind on a regular basis um, in your everyday life. They're kind of like a nice way of remembering how to practice. The, the principles were basically they're a reframing or a restating of the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism. And they were formulated by Joko Beck and actually written by one of her students called Alan Caprow or Capro, who was, is an artist. And um, so for, for the Four Noble Truths, as most of you know, are life is, there is suffering. There is a cause of suffering. There is an end to suffering and there is a, a way to the end of suffering. So the, um, the practice principles are kind of like one of the ways in which we try and understand that particular practice, that particular path. So the first two lines are referring to focusing on suffering and how suffering arises. And the second two lines are focusing on uh, bringing suffering to an end and um, and I've always felt that the, the kind of suffering that we're mainly talking about in these practice in these practice principles is uh, bringing an end to unnecessary psychological suffering and um, it, it's they, they we, we're still going to experience physical pain you know we're still going to experience um, emotional loss and all those kinds of feelings. Um, and the embedded in the practice principles is a way of being with the kind of, that kind of universal, natural um, difficulties in life that which come up for us, whether that's be physical pain or emotional pain as well. The two basic kind of the way in which I kind of I think the core of the practice principles is basically this notion of being able to see how when we're caught up in some kind of upset or emotional reaction, 
that's an indication that we're somehow caught up in our self-centered discriminating mind and um it could be various beliefs requirements expectations etc uh that we are sometimes uh unaware of that we're actually identified with or fused with as well as the whole notion of how the sense of self arises in terms of the way in which we identify with self as content all the thoughts and feelings that we experience and the practice principles are pointing towards a way in which we're trying to free ourselves up from that a little bit and loosen it all up um, because when we buy into the centered self we we are creating we we, we, we we separate ourselves out from life and we experience a more um, painful sense of separation and self-other duality, self-world duality. So it's the, uh, we want to move away from being caught up in those thoughts and holding on to those thoughts. And uh, that's the kind of bondage to the separate self. To being, returning back to our embeddedness in life, to the non-separation from life as it is. And Joko Beck often talks about that in terms of experiencing. So the more we are experiencing, the more we're embedded in life. And, and, uh, and, and that is going with the flow of each moment. And there's a kind of inverse relationship between the two. The more we're caught up in our thoughts, the less we are actually experiencing the more we're experiencing, the less we're caught up in our thoughts. So, um, and there's a number of practices that we could talk about, um, but I won't go into that right now. There are some practical sort of practices we can do. Um, so let's open it up and uh, for dialogue. Um, keen to hear about your own um, use of the practice principles, any questions you might have, uh, let's go into that. So just when you want to speak, just unmute and just uh, come in. So David's going to, David and then Gareth. Um, I'm not really consciously aware of how I use the practice principles, but I think by learning them and repeating them and questioning them as written down in front of me and also questioning myself, I come to spend a lot of time uh, fitting the words of the self-centered dream into my experience of um, suffering, I guess. And when I'm not suffering, checking out how much of that is what, that I'm connected to something beyond that. Um, but also even the wording, I guess I spend a lot of time trying to find something that fits for me but because there's the self-centered dream, which to me is just being totally unaware that I'm, I'm living in a place of... Um, only awareness of myself as separate from others. But I'm also wrestling with still learning to 
take care of myself and to actually um, nurture part of myself that does stay connected with um, taking care of myself and being responsible for myself. It's hard to find words, but also being true to myself and really testing my experience against words or concepts that I might get taken off into in Buddhism or Zen in, in the way that I get caught up in other ways in, in sort of some self-constructed view of the world. So I guess that's just a little sense of how I have been practicing, I guess, over the last year since I've been um, a bit more on board with, with this group. Um, it's just about um, coming back to the framework of those words and noticing them and questioning them and questioning myself and and seeing what fits and what's what's real and what gets me a better sense of contributing to the world, but also owning that I need to get the best experience for myself to be able to do that. So that's just off the top of my head. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Um, so I think some of the some of the difficulties uh, arise sometimes when we just obviously <laughs> as they often do when we're talking about self and um, um, and um, in in some ways I mean there are we, we could also talk about a healthy sense of self versus a kind of um, unhealthy sense of self and. Uh, the self-centered dream, in, but in in a sense, even a healthy sense of self uh, is still um, usually um, experiencing itself as 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 in in, the, in a duality, in a sense of there's a still a me, but a sense of me that we're experiencing, and uh, and a sense of the other, which is perfectly fine because that's basically how we experience ourselves most of the time. Um, but um, the taking that a little bit deeper as we as we're moving into the into the more of the experiencing is is you know you'll often find in Joko she'll just say things like this is very simple practice you know just seeing just hearing just feeling and um, and that's a very much um, a, a sense in which that non-separation then starts to happen when we are just um, that flow of experiencing. And in a sense, that experiencing uh, is almost like, a, it's kind of like that constant all the time in our lives. And uh, when we get more bought into the self-center or the self-centeredness center, that's, that's the kind of the rising up of the, of the separate self in a way, uh, and and that's usually just a definite that that dream of that of that of that separate self is is, is almost like a sense of suffering in itself. It's a kind that often of often in response to to the resistance to life as it is, and that sense of that separation coming up in that way. Having said that, we still have to, in the same way we we nurture our our physical needs, our needs of food and shelter. There are psychological needs, I think, as, as human beings that we also need and we pay attention to. And so um, 
it's uh, important to be inclusive of, of, of those two different ways of understanding the self. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm interested. I mean, that's a little bit of my experience. I just wanted to hear people's experiences, including your own, Andrew, on a sort of personal level. Like I hear you speaking for, for we and giving your perspective, which has a lot of weight behind it. But, um, yeah, I'm also just interested in, where, you know, the moment-to-moment -moment stuff that I guess you wrestle with and other people too or, or how, how you see it. Yeah. So that was just my little offering. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. Yeah. And, and like in terms of me, like um, to me, it's kind of like, what does it mean to discover your ordinary mind? And uh, what is it the ordinary mind is talking about? And, um, and to me, that's just that simple, basic awareness uh, that we are always experiencing right here and right now. And then noticing how when I am experiencing that, that very basic, simple awareness, there's a, there's a, a freedom and a, and a sense of completeness and a sense of joy, if you like. And, uh, and, 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 and then if somebody, uh, I mean, my partner could, my, my wife could say something, or I could be um, in, on the screen in, in this situation. And all of a sudden I get a, a very subtle thought or a very subtle sense of self arising. And that could be something like, oh, you know, like, I hope I don't embarrass myself right now. And this all that's already arisen right there in that moment. And uh, that's when that sort of self consciousness comes in, where I experience myself as separate from and being observed by. Yeah. And, uh, we, um, and often, of course, if you're feeling criticized or threatened, that's often what we experience. Okay, let's open it up to um, some other participants. I think Gareth was going to go next. I think the practice principles, thank you, Andrew, are fabulous. And I find myself having to resort to them frequently. I've... Nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists. That was from the Course in Miracles, which I did for a long time. Um, forgiveness is the key to happiness. Um, I'm not a body, I'm still as God created me. And, and these are all different ways of saying what the cat practice principles. And I find that I, I, the practice principles are very succinct in the way they help me let go of my ego separate thoughts, which my mind dances with <laughs> probably most of the time. And, but the more I use the practice principles, the more it helps me disengage from my separate ego, the pain that I'm feeling, the endless thinking and round and round merry-go-round that my mind often dances with and um, causes me a lot of suffering. And, of course, if I project that onto other people, that creates another whole another layer. If I get angry or if I get, if my um, reactivity meter goes off, and I find myself being verbally um, 
emotional, you know. I, I'm, I'm a musician and I was a music teacher and I, I, I justify being emotionally in the way I deliver things, the way I emphasise tone in my voice, um, sometimes volume. And coming back to those practice principles, time and time again, I find very, very rewarding in my meditation and even in my moment to moment, trying to be in the present here now rather than planning everything all the time and how I can keep running away from my true self. And so, yeah, um, I, I found that I find the practice principles are really beautiful, very, very succinct and um, meaningful and brings about a different experience away from my separate ego. Yeah, thank you, Gareth. I mean, as you were talking earlier on, it just reminded me of how contagious uh, suffering is. Um, when we or someone else is, is caught up in a, an emotional reaction, how contagious that can be. It kind of like Absolutely. pulls us into the vortex of the of the separate self. Absolutely. And uh, a lot of our practice mm -hmm. you know, is about noticing that. Really? Yeah. So sometimes it's just it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we don't get caught up in an emotional reaction. But as we've, as we've talked about a lot in the past, um, we might start to notice a lessening in the frequency and duration of the emotional reaction as, a, as an outcome of our practice. Michael. Yeah. Hi, Andrew. Hi, everyone. Lovely, lovely to be with you all again. Um, great topic. Um, I, with, the, with the practice principles, I, <clears throat> I, I inevitably um, bounce them off my, um, my, my, my psych path, you know, the, 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 the sort of thoughts about organising principles, the operation of transference, attachments, uh, trauma, PTSD, my amygdala hijacks, all that sort of stuff has been part of my thinking for a long time. So I'm, I'm kind of, it's, it's like a conversation that I have between uh, the practice principles and all that other stuff, like what's the cause of suffering? What can I do about it? And I guess um, the irony for me is that I, I see my separate self as ultimately, it's, it's still also part of my non-separate self. It's just that I can't see it in the moment. Um, so, so I guess it's sort of like, for me, uh, um, Maya is Nirvana. So my, my deluded self is also part of the, the non-deluded self in a, bigger, in, a, in a bigger sense. But to, to actually flow through that, I somehow need to keep practicing so that I don't split off the bits of me that I find disgusting or truly painful or truly uh, shameful. Um, and, and there's a bucket load of it all. And uh, so, so I guess, I mean, that's, that's my, my work is like through that gate. The only way for me is to, to, to not separate 
from the parts of me that I desperately want to run away from a lot of the time um, and uh, just just somehow be with them, you know, like find a way to 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 own them and um, and and kind of yeah okay all right I surrender so what is it what is it what is it um, I think uh, uh, both sides the the my psych training and the the Zen principles point to the same place like not separating off staying with the uncomfortable the the painful the the distressing and it's all part of me and and then realizing well hang on it's not just part of me it me there's the me is the whole relational field that i'm in around this stuff whether it's with deb or friends or work where i kind of go that bastard did that no 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 it's all part of this big field it's the me is not just in here somewhere it's me with everybody else and remembering that yeah so that's that's just what goes on and the degree of success with it that i have varies enormously <laughs> but stay trying to stay on the road yeah yeah very nicely put thanks michael the um that, that willingness just to be with the moment as it is, whether it's a moment of jealousy or disappointment or a moment when we're feeling depressed or whatever it might be. And, uh, and then sort of um, the willingness to be with the, what Choker would call the, the, the experience of that in, in the sense of the direct experiencing of it uh, on a non-conceptual level as we move away from the seeing the thought though as best we can, seeing the belief as best we can, and then, uh, yeah, just really being with the upset on that sort of very bottom-up level, on that very experiencing level. And, and that practice in yeah. itself begins to, begins to undermine the attachment to the beliefs and the thoughts, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so being being like you said, being with uh, when the practice principles are not meant to, not meant to be used to to um, um, uh, um, emotionally bypass these issues, yeah, and to take us right to the heart of them, to the core of them. You know, I mean, the other beautiful thing about the practice principles is like for someone like Michael, who's trained in psychotherapy, you know, he can put that into that framework like Barry does. But someone who's maybe not trained in psychotherapy, but might be coming from a different perspective, like the, the um, like Gareth with the um, his his um, uh, the, the teachings that he's worked with in the practice principles also fit with that as well. So there's a lovely kind of universality about them, I find that we can all use quite well, even though we might be exposed to different kind of trainings or teachings in the background. Well, that's why I, re I really like that about them. Mm. I, yeah, I, I find the practice principles really helpful. Um, and I think what Michael was talking about there, actually um, feeling the emotions or the suffering or whatever, um, I find at different times, if I actually do that and, and allow myself to feel it and to 
to stay with that for a while and not push it away, that that actually makes it easier to let it go. And then letting it go, it helps you to then just be in the present moment. So it's just like that thing of, of yeah, yeah, yeah. experiencing it. Mm. Yeah, Angel, I would suggest that there's not tooth, there's not kind of feeling it and then letting it go. I think the feeling it is the letting go of it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, and the more that we can sort of be in the um, be in that present moment, that's sort of what allows that process for me anyway. It's just mm. like, and then it's only when I start thinking about it that it becomes a problem, really. Mm. It's only when I start thinking about it that it becomes a problem. I mean, that's, I mean, in many ways, that's very, very true, very, very important core point, the core teaching, yeah. Okay. If we're not caught up in thoughts about anything, what's the problem? Um, Jill. I remember I found, found it a little bit odd because we were meeting face to face and it was a bit of a ritual so you hand out the laminated sheets of the practice principles and that almost took longer to hand them out as it, what it did for us to read them and, you know, the gong and everything. I just, but the principles, I thought, yeah, no, this is good. But as time's gone on, it, the constant reading or sharing of them is, it helps you sort of, it makes them easy to flick to in in real life or because you get to know them. And so it's a bit like a switch. You can turn, you be reminded, and that helps me get what the big picture or the perspective on things that we get carried away with. So I've come to really appreciate them. They're way better than the Four Noble Truths. Yeah. yeah, that's a lovely point, Jill. Um, in, like the traditional training of Zen Buddhist monks, you know, like um, ideally departed Thich Nhat Hanh, for example, you know, he's, he talked about how he had to memorize uh, lots and lots of verses of different teachings, sutras, and, and like, um, and look, learning something off by heart in a way it, it does enter into more deeply and you know all we are doing in ordinary mind zen really is maybe learning the practice principles by heart there's the four lines so we're not asking you to learn the 50 verses of Vasnubandhu's yoga chara or something like that or or even the heart but even the heart sutra you know all all zen buddhist monks would would know that off by heart i, I wouldn't know that off by heart but I found that um, just yeah, just knowing the, the, those four lines of the practice principles in some ways is enough, and uh, just to just to have those to know those off by heart um, goes straight to the heart and is very liberating in that way. Andrew, can I just pop in with something else? Of course. Hello. Yes. Uh, ahead, Michael, yeah. Sorry, the line is a bit intermittent. I'd just like to say something about the 
the the curly little uh, question you 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 threw out, which I think is a uh, out to us, which which I think is really quite the core of a a lot of my my suffering and quite possibly a lot of others is well the question was if you're not thinking about something what's the problem well yeah i uh, i kind of went to well yeah sure there's there can be a big problem because many pattern many of our patterns uh ways of being automatically experiencing things uh and the tr the results of traumas we experience happen outside our uh, capacity to kind of think about them, which is like kind of like seeing them or encapsulating them in that part of our mind. In other words, they kind of they they run us like like we sweat. It's it's like oh well, I'm you know in this space. I probably don't even know I'm highly anxious right now. It's just someone goes, oh, Michael's being a bit funny at the moment. Yeah, I've got my trauma tape going and I'm acting it out without even realising. So um, my problem is how do I kind of see myself when I can't see myself? Um, how, to, how to be with that? You know, I call it hunting my snark. How do I how do I hunt my snark when I can't see my snark? And um, so the only thing I can kind of get to is well, like that before bit is well I'll just try and sit with what I can kind of see through the bamboo. I'll okay uh, all right what's going on what's going on just sit with that maybe but I think it also needs the another like a mirror or someone who can kind of mirror back something that we can't think about ourselves or see in ourselves. So uh, it's a bit paradoxical for me. So I just wanted to come back with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Michael, um, I think there's, there's two senses in which the self can't be seen. So in, in, in my understanding, um, the 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 self which I sometimes refer to as awareness or the witnessing consciousness or ordinary mind you can never see that because it never arises as an object and you can verify that right now that that which is seen you can never see. Um, and, and I think you're referring to when you call, I can't see the snark. I think you're, you're talking more about what we like in, I guess, the unconscious in psychoanalysis. Um, Buddhism would yeah. talk about that as, um, you know, the karma, the conditions and circumstances, um, fruits of karma. There is a diachronics, you know, a sense in which there's a, uh, we are right now, the, you know, um, um, there's, there's, there's a koan in the in the gate this gate collection of koans about a fox and um, and, and, and so in, in some and that koan's about about karma and um, and one of the this, the, uh, the, the 
the mistake that, that the monk makes in that koan is that he thinks that we are coming like free from karma when we realize um, the true self, if, if you like. But um, mm. the, in a sense, this, it's both. We, 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 are, we are always inseparable from the conditions and circumstances of our life. And we do experience mm. the karma of all of that. And, uh, and at the same time, freedom can only be experienced right now. So when I was using the idea of um, what is wrong with right now if I don't think about it, it's just that basic sense of, you know, you, we, you can experience it right now, the sense in which when there is no thought that we're attached to or no thought clouding this experiencing of right now, in other words, when you're just hearing, just seeing, just feeling, there's a kind of mm. non-separation and completeness in that where there's no problem can arise because there's no division. For, for one moment, you're free of the discriminating mind which creates the duality. So in that non-dual mm. absolute subjectivity, there's no problem arising mm. right now. What's the problem yeah, yeah. now? Moment. Yeah. 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 I I I get that as um I I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And and yet I mean I kind of think we can still be plagued by stuff when we we don't actually even have a word to describe what's going on for us. You know, it's a bit like name naming the beast that troubles us can be very useful as well. That kind of little paradox but I I do hear what what you're saying now as well yeah 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 <laughs> thank you any questions on on on, on that what michael was talking about or any any other responses to that notion of um no thought, no problem, or no self, no problem. Uh, Phil. Yeah, I did wonder a little bit about that, Andrew. Um, thoughts, thoughts arise fairly constantly, and I guess I can't think of too situations where there's no thought, no problem in my practical life. I mean, situations generate responses emotionally and intellectually. And I, I, I guess I've started to see my thoughts as not an enemy. Sometimes we can get caught up in a, in a particular train of thought that is creates suffering or negative emotions. But the thoughts in themselves to me are just part of being human and they just they just happen. Absolutely. Um, they just happen. And it's, it's good to make a distinction between self-centered thoughts and thinking. I mean, we're not saying do away with thinking. Thinking is very helpful. And, <laughs> and you know, planning is very helpful. Um, no, I didn't, even, I didn't really even mean that. I mean, even if you, even if you have a negative thought about something, like, a, you know, there's, it happens all the time if something happens. You know, somebody says something or somebody does something and you have a negative response. 
to me, it's like, well, so what? It's it's just a thought. You know, you, it's I, I suppose I I think in a way I'm, I can't really express it very clearly, but it's it worries me that um, this idea that you have to somehow constantly be on the lookout for negative thoughts or whatever. In some ways, to me, I, I suppose as I practice more, while those thoughts still arise, I've become better at just letting them be there and letting them go. And well, that, that's exactly that in itself opens that spaciousness. Yeah, that's exactly the point. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I just misunderstood. Um, okay. I mean, okay. I mean, you, you you can see that like it if you if you're not if you're not buying into the thought and if you're not identifying with the belief, then it's, it's, it's not a problem. You're not going to have a huge emotional upset or tantrum. Yeah. Okay. Now that's all right. That's yeah. I just wanted to clarify that. Just, yeah, no, just something else that that's this conversation got reminded me of um, something in JK's new book, she talks about anxiety which um, all of us experience, and I experience my fair share. And her comment was quite curious. She said anxiety, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but it's like a, a signal that you have an expectation that life should be something that, other than as, as it is. So when, so it's like you, anxiety is a signal that you're butting up against something that you expect to be different. You've set up an expectation. But life is, isn't, doesn't always meet your expectations. And I found that that little, I don't anecdote that she, it, I've actually found that really practical. So now when I feel anxious, I ask myself, why, what is it that I want to be different about the situation? And I found that quite useful because often, it, it, and that comes back to the self-centered dream thing. It's just related to that. So I just thought I'd share that. Just this conversation just reminded me of reading that fairly recently. Yeah, so I think emotions can are a signal sometimes that you're trying to make a situation or, or a circumstance something it isn't in your mind at least, and maybe not in, you know physically or in reality, but in your mind. Yeah, very good. I mean, I guess ultimately, um, any attachment to a thought will create a sense of self, a separate sense of self. And whenever we're experiencing ourselves as a separate self, um, there's always going to be the possibility that we'll experience fear or anxiety. Yeah. yeah. It's not always a bad thing, neither. I mean, as you know, like, um, this is not about, <laughs> it's not about being uh, free of fear. Some, I mean, some fear is really helpful. <laughs> Some anxiety yeah. would be helpful, yeah. That's right. Yeah. <coughs> Looks like David's on cable car or something, or it's pretty weird. <laughs> You're confronting your anxiety, David. <laughs> Being, being the fear. <laughs> well, it's allowing everyone to project their own fears onto my my screen. 
Very good. Yeah, I'd like to comment, uh, Andrew. Um, hey. Yeah, it's it's um, the sloka or mantra, you might say. Um, I think it's very appropriate. It sort of sums up the whole longing <clears throat> that is created in our spiritual life, you know, um, because it's usually through suffering or some trauma or difficulty that you start to question why am I here? What am I doing here? So, so it's a wonderful sutra. Um, but it, it reminds me of like Gurdjieff used to say, you know, his, his teaching was um, to use anything to stop you in the midst of trauma, in the midst of chaos, uh, to remember. So it's self-remembering. So I have occasionally, on occasion, remembered the sutra. So, okay, I missed the beginning. What's the sutra you're talking about? I'm talking about um, uh, the, 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 the suffering, all, all life is suffering, the Buddha. Oh, the four truths, right, the yeah. Four truths, yes, yeah. sorry, the four truths. Yeah. Um, I have remembered it in times of real important time to remember, which sort of chills you out and, and soothes it out and allows you to reflect, because we do get caught up in other people's thinking and other people's dramas so it, it brings you back to yourself so i see it as like a, a wonderful technique self-remembering if i could only remember it in those critical times so um yes yeah, i think it's a, a wonderful thing yeah can you can you just say a little bit more about self-remembering kate as a practice well it would be about stopping in the midst of the train of thinking or thought that was causing stress, um, stopping and stepping back and being, you know, rather than a victim, taking responsibility, right? What is it I'm experiencing? Um, take some breaths, you know, like just to stop, take some breaths, take responsibility. Yeah. Um, whatever one does to uh, de-stress oneself. Yeah, that's a good practice to stop. A stopping yeah. practice, yeah. yeah. Mm. And an interesting um, Zen koan I heard the other day, which kind of triggered a, a little awakening, was like, here, um, hear with the eyes and see with the ears. Mm -hmm. So it's a Zen koan. And I, that kind of like, that opened it up like we don't have to, you know, we perceive things in a habitual way, but if you start to reverse things like that, it becomes non-habitual and you might see something slightly different. So that was quite a nice opening. Yeah, and that's, that's really beautiful. And um, in some ways, you know, uh, Buddhism, not just Buddhism, other traditions as well would uh, say that we have a totally imaginary construction of reality. It's totally upside down. In other words, well, duality. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. I remember um, being in India and this uh, yogi said to me, all of perception is in your mind. You know, mm. All of the world, every, everything is actually you. Mm. So, hmm, I'll dwell on that. <laughs> so, but, and a lot of the teachings do point to that, mm. which is a hell of a responsibility. <laughs> but um, interesting. Thank you, Kate.
one last person want to um, share something or ask a question? Richard? Um, it's great, great discussion. So thanks everyone. It's been really, really interesting. And uh, um, I guess for me, um, one of the challenges is uh, uh, remembering to remember. And um, <laughs> you know, because you just, uh, a lot of this discuss, you know, talking about selfing and, you know, getting, going down these rabbit holes of thought and self you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of, the self gets amplified very quickly. You know, you go on a, whether it's anxiety or you, you know, you're overthinking or what is a situation you're in. And um, <clears throat> it's, uh, you know, the, certainly for me, the challenge, if I can just uh, re tap into this larger awareness and whatever, whether it's breathing or you're talking about stopping, um, you know, just shifting that little, little bit uh, out of that sort of uh, self-centered, the dream of the self, you know, is it's, as you, as you said, Andrew, it's there all the time. It's, an, it's right here. And um, it's remembering that that's the, it, it's very simple, but it's, it can be very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And then people have talked about that a fair bit, Richard. Um, I mean, there are some, you know, people who have talked about setting a little, um, um, remembering ring on your phone or something every hour. Go, oh, remember, <laughs> wake up, be aware. Am I aware? Am I aware? Yes, I am aware. Um, uh, I think it's really important. Um, one of the, I think that the, um, what, where we went wrong in the 60s and 70s was to put so much emphasis on going on retreats or sessions. And, uh, and not enough emphasis on each day. And you don't have to be sitting in Zazen to be practicing. Mm -hmm. You don't stop being this ordinary mind, this awareness that we are. You just need to remember it as often as we can. And then there's a subtle shift that starts to occur between the sense of me as Andrew. But, I mean, that doesn't go away but there's a subtle shift where it's not so real as it used to be. It starts to, and I'll, I'll just finish with a quotation from Elihu, Elihu Smith, Gemio Smith. He's um, an ordinary mind teacher and his book um, <clears throat> called Everything is the Way is, a, is an excellent book as well. And he has, a, he has a chapter on the practice principles in this book. And uh, so I'm just quoting from, I'll just quote, we'll finish with a quote from Elihu. So, by noticing thoughts and being bodily experiencing, the self-centered dream reveals itself as transparent and it drops away of itself. Being natural functioning and being unhindered by attachment to the self-centered dream is experiencing the present moment and responding directly. 
responding without being hindered by self and other. We see what is needed and we act accordingly. Not doing anything special, our life is revealed as the compassionate activity that it truly is. In this compassionate life, suffering has been resolved.